Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Dieter Kurtenbach is back. Dieter Kurtenbach has a head cold. Sorry. I mean, I, 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 I apologize for, first of all, I generally apologize to most people who have to listen to my voice anyway, but right now it's in all sorts of raspiness. It's, uh, yeah, it's not great, but I think my head's clear. Uh, so Sam, I think that we need to dive immediately into basketball ratings, because if there's one thing I've proven to be an expert on, it's basketball ratings. Jesus Christ. I love. See, the problem is that you and I both love that topic so much. Like me, because I worked like right. in that industry, and you because you're just a weirdo. I'm like... a fucking weirdo. That is that is 100 percent the accurate representation of why I love it. And the problem is, anytime we talk about it, you are actually like deeply knowledgeable. Where I'm coming from, this like weird populist stance. Uh, and mostly like an anti-Adam Silver stance. And so it's just like emotions versus reason. And I hate being on the wrong side of that argument. So let's uh, not talk about that, in fact, even though the ratings were down big time. Uh, and I understand that Canada's part of it. I totally understand. But Canada didn't give out a major $28, 27000000000 billion TV deal or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, but they gave out like some sort of TV deal for TSN and Sportsnet to get it. I don't know what Sportsnet deal is. I'll ask around on that. Actually, that that would that, be that's actually like an, to find out. Yeah, because I actually was tweeting back and forth with the Paulson guy, and then yeah. um, with Samus Fondiari and a couple other people, and I was like, yeah, like the number that actually matters here is that. Like, it depends on what they're getting, like on a per season and per game basis from TSN, and how that compares to the audience share that they're getting. So, right. Like, yeah, I think that you'd need to know those numbers to, like, actually be able to do this, and nobody really contextualizes it as such, so... Um, no, well, but mind you, the, the base information is coming off of an ESPN tweet, which uh, included in the tweet, Canada numbers not included. So, like, they were already in super spin mode to start, which I thought was fairly telling. But alas, uh, I thought it was a fantastic game of basketball that everyone would, should have watched. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a great game. It was such a fun game to watch. Um, the Raptors won, obviously. I believe they won 118 to 109. Was that the final? Yes, sir. Yes, it is. Uh, so where do you want to start? You were there. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll just give you the floor on this one. Okay. Well, I mean, let, let's um, let's do our requisite media member loves Toronto segment here, um, which I'm sure everyone is doing across the nation right now. I'll try to keep mine short. Toronto is awesome. Uh, that was as fun of an atmosphere hey, as hot, I have. Hot take. Yeah. I've never yeah. been to Toronto. Oh, oh, you must. You must. Now, I would not recommend it for uh, nine months out of the year. But like starting now, pretty good time to show up in Toronto. End of May through about August. Yeah, that, that, maybe even September. That's a, it's a, this is a world-class city. I, I know this is turning almost into a trope, uh, how many Americans want to be like, oh, Toronto's fantastic. I've been here enough uh, to know kind of what Toronto's about. But I, I, I was really looking forward to really getting it. We're, we're here for a week. And, uh, you know, with the days off in between and uh, certainly with the two days before the finals where it's like, ah, we've run out of things to say. Like, I got nothing to write here, so I might as well go, you know, eat ramen or something uh, or or poutine. Like, I was really looking forward to sinking my teeth into this bad boy. Then this goddamn head cold showed up. But nevertheless, uh, I, I was... I was taken back by, you know, you hear, I never covered a game, um, or a a Raptors game, I've covered Maple Leafs game, but I never covered a Raptors game in Toronto. I was taken back by the fact that I walked into the Arena Bowl with about 
12 minutes to go before the first tip, which is pretty early for me and, and usually pretty early for the fans, there was not a single goddamn seat empty. Um, and that's not hyperbole. And it is a massive arena. It holds just shy of 20K. Uh, it is reminiscent of like the United Center in Chicago in terms of just its sheer scale and the amount of people that are kind of stacked in there. Uh, and the, the rendition of O Canada was like chillingly cool. Uh, and they just, they were loud from the start and they didn't let up. And that was a factor in the game. I don't know how much of a factor, but it was absolutely a factor. Like this entire series, uh, is just going to be fucking awesome when it comes to in arena atmosphere, because we know what Oracle arena brings, uh, even in this sort of late stage of Oracle arena with the, the fleece vests, but at Toronto, brought the noise they're going to bring it again in game two for sure uh warriors fans are going to bring it in three and four and possibly six it, it's going to be fucking awesome to cover this in in person so I, I just you know hashtag blessed to be here with that but in terms of the game uh when pascal siakam who who is first team all deeter I, I love pascal siakam i don't know how anyone couldn't love pascal siakam so it's not like i'm unique in that sense when he drops 32 on 14 to 17 shooting on your ass, um, you're not going to win the game if you're the Golden State Warriors. And if the Raptors had somehow lost that game and squandered uh, the best offensive performance against the Warriors, I would argue, statistically in terms of shooting percentage and stuff, it is the best percentage that the Warriors have given up uh, in the entire Steve Kerr era, playoffs or regular season. If you were to squander a game like that, the series would would have felt over. And instead, it feels like we got what we more or less expected in terms of this is going to all, it was always going to be tight. This is the Warriors uh, offense and the strength of that offense without Kevin Durant, which is all, you know, perimeter, perimeter, perimeter to the point where they started Jordan Bell at the five in game one, uh, going up against the Raptors strength, which is perimeter defense with Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, and Pascal Siakam just putting the clamps on dudes and Kyle Lowry, we should say as well. Uh, it, it, it was always going to be a cagey series, I thought. It was always going to be a fascinating little chess match. I think the Warriors figured some stuff out once they finally, I don't know, engaged in the goddamn game. But the Raptors have always been really good and a worthy adversary. And this series always had six or seven sort of slated on it. And I think that that's kind of where we're at. Uh, the Raptors brought their A game. It's on the Warriors to make some adjustments. But I, even if they make the right adjustments, I, I don't think that there's any blowouts in this series one way or another. No, I think that I would agree with you on that. Uh, it's funny. So, you know, the big, like, thing that I think happened in this game, like, let's start with Golden State's defense. because yeah, or, lack, or lack thereof. Well, yeah, early on, it was just an abject mess, I thought, on right. defense from the Warriors. You know what the, like, kind of funny thing is about this, though? The I Raptors mean, actually scored at a better point per possession clip in the second half than they did in the first half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because they kept shooting threes early in the, the first quarter, and it's like the Warriors were totally fine with that. As bad as their defense was and as many times as the rotations completely broke down, right. I think the Warriors were totally content with like, and this is what I was kind of getting at with the Pascal Siakam thing. Pascal Siakam shot 26% regular season and postseason combined on above the break threes. Like, this is a guy who just developed a three-point shot, and he has hung out in the corners all year in order to make that shot viable for him. And that makes a lot of sense when you consider how do you develop a three-pointer. The Warriors, absolutely part of the game plan is, if Pascal Siakam wants to take an above-the-break three, 
we will live with that all day, every day, because he's not efficient at it. Well, he went two for two on him. And I, I know two, you know, three-pointers isn't everything, but they're totally cool with letting Marcus Gasol take six three-pointers in the game. When he makes four of them, you're like, well, shit. I mean, there, there it is. It was kind of one of those nights for the Raptors, especially you think like the Fred Van Vliet shot late against the shot clock after the Warriors yeah. figured out trap. Like there was some, there was some positive magic vibes happening, but still, like the Warriors' defense wasn't in a position to really shut down anything all night. Like, here's what I will say. I do think that it is a particularly bad strategy for the Warriors to leave Marcus all open from three. Yeah, he's a good three-point uh, shooter. Like, he will make 40% of those shots. If he is wide open, he probably will make 45% of those shots, I think. I, like, I don't yeah. think that is a viable strategy for the Warriors. Um, yeah. Part of what the Warriors' identity on defense has been in the Steve Kerr era is they essentially want to force you and like, look, this is obviously what defenses in general want to do, but they particularly want to force you into doing what you don't want to do. And they're willing to sell out to the nth degree to do so. They are like, they're not going to guard Tony Allen in the corner from three. Uh, Correct. There were, for instance, like instances last night where some of it was miscommunication, but other Mm -hmm. times, like it was very clear that part of their, uh, strategy was uh, I remember specifically there was a like semi transition three where Alfonso McKinney stunted toward Pascal Siakam instead of closing out on him and yes. then flew out to the corner to guard yeah. the corner three point shooter. Like yes. the reason that you stun out there is because you know you're relatively comfortable where hey if he decides to take this like we're comfortable with it at the end of the day. So right. it's clear that the Warriors are sticking to their strategy of hey. We want you to take the shots we want you to take, even if they are, you know, Pascal Siakam threes, which to me, like, that's not a disaster shot. No, especially considering his ability to put the ball on the floor and get to the basket. I mean, if the three is not going, he can still create. And this is something that the Warriors should know plenty about because they've had an entire offense built on that with Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala, uh, whose shot is completely lost, by the way, Uh, with both of those guys still being able to create offense despite not having good three-point shots. Uh, this is something that the Warriors, that you're 100% right on, on, on that analysis because this is something that the Warriors have really trained for every year because they're going to face James Harden in the playoffs. They know they're going to face James Harden in the playoffs. And you think about uh, game six of this year's Western Conference semifinals, you think about game seven of last year's Western Conference finals. Uh, that's the strategy. We're not going to let the main guy beat us. And if he does beat us, fine. Like, let everyone else deal with it. And and, and they're probably going to miss 27 threes. Maybe that was a bad confirmation bias on them, and they're reading too much into luck. Uh, and maybe the flip of that is being, you know, put into play right here with, with the Raptors, where they knocked down damn near everything that they had a chance to knock down. Uh, but, yeah, the Warriors are not... It, it's very clear that the Warriors are not going to let Kawhi Leonard beat them. And I think that after game one, there's a certain, I don't know, um, concession that we can all make that Kawhi Leonard isn't all with us, that we're not getting, a, we're certainly not getting 100%, and we're getting a fairly hobbled Kawhi Leonard. I mean, he was like alternating limps last night. Uh, and, and so if the Warriors keep double teaming him, he's a smart player. Uh, 
I don't know if he's the best passer out of those double teams, but he's so cool and calm and collected. I think he'll usually make the right play. But I think that that's what the Warriors want to do, that they, they don't feel like they can beat a, a, a Raptors team where Kawhi Leonard is really operating and really controlling things. So you want, they, they're going to put the onus on other dudes to, to control the game. And last night they absolutely did it. And they could do it again three times. There's no question in my mind that they could. I just don't necessarily think that the Warriors' defense is going to be this shitty going forward because it was... It, 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 as much as Steve Kerr didn't want to say it, like the players were totally fine in admitting that they were super rusty after nine days off. I don't know how much credence you want to give that, but like it can't not be a thing at the same time. And as you saw them kind of get better and better as the game went along, it only uh, strengthens that argument. And now they have some game film uh, where I don't know. I just I don't know what kind of adjustments the Raptors can make. I don't know if they want to make too many of them. They played a really good game in game one, but like, I I don't know what the second kind of smoke, the third kind of smoke the Raptors have is. Uh, They were already kind of one track coming into this series. And and I thought that they, they put it all together in a nice way. Whereas the Warriors have like so many levels they can get to beyond what they showed last night. And and frankly, the Raptors should have blown the fucking front doors off of the Warriors with the way that they were playing compared to the way the Warriors were playing. And yet golden state was always just sort of kind of there in this game, and I, I have to read into that a little bit. I, I feel like there's some truth in the margins. So I, I'm a lot more worried about Golden State's defense than you are. Um, I, I would love, I would honestly love to hear why. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just really curious as to why. So in their last 10 games in the playoffs, so uh, what, games two through six in the Houston mm-hmm. series and then games one through four? In the Blazer series and last night, right, they've given up a one eleven defensive rating. So, like, yeah. even in games where they have been, you know, successful at the end of the day, right. I mean, they've lost what three of those games and won, let's say, three seven seven of those games, right? Right. They're still not really getting stops at the level at which, like, we've seen the Warriors get stops before. Uh, yeah, part of yeah. that is. Just, hey, like, this defensive strategy, it didn't work last night because the Raptors guys that they wanted to shoot made shots. Uh, Fred Van Vliet was ridiculous last night. Like, Pascal was yep. ridiculous last night. Um, yep. Having said that, like, I do think that they're going to want to stop uh, leaving Pascal open. Just straight up. Like, you right. can't you can't leave Pascal yeah, that open because the, the problem yeah. is that if he gets downhill that's an even bigger problem for you. Like if you just don't close He's such like, a good passer. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you don't close out on him, you're going to be, you're just allowing him to get downhill. It's kind of like what happens with like Giannis in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to play Giannis has his own sense of gravity because you have to play him in at least like 17 or 18 feet. Otherwise right. he's just going to become a freight train. And it's yeah, he's, not, he's not pulling up, but if you give him that much runway, he's going to take off. Right, and I think the Warriors did a poor job last night of giving Pascal too much runway. Um, the second they reason... Just, they also just lost him. Like, Nick right, Nurse, they did. credit to him. Like, they, Nick Nurse just... Sl- it, the Warriors were hedging off of him when they put him in the corner, so Nick Nurse put him at the dunker spot, and all he had to do was go back and forth from the, the left block to the right block, and that fucked up everything for the Warriors. Now, I think you can make an adjustment off of that, but, like, that's good coaching. Well, I think that there's this aspect of it, too. Um, early in the game, they did a great job of getting Stephen Curry switched on to Pascal. So I thought coming into the yeah. series, they would try and get Curry switched on to Kawhi as much as possible. Instead, mm-hmm. what they did was they used 
the one four screen and roll instead of the one five right. screen and roll early with Marcus Gasol. And they used it to get the switch with Pascal, assuming that the Warriors would just be switching every action one through four, which I mm-hmm. think is a reasonable assessment, a reasonable oh, yeah. know, thing to think coming into a series. And Pascal did his job. He did his work on Steph early. And I think yeah. that got him going. He didn't really, in the second half, Pascal's points were more, hey, they got out on the break. Hey, mm-hmm. uh, you know, dunker spot, just kind of sit him there because they're playing so far off them. Like, this is... This was an awesome game by Nick Nurse. This was a fantastic, fantastic chess match performance by Nick Nurse, I thought, because just every little button he pushed, despite the fact that he only got a five for 14 game from Kawhi Leonard. I mean, like if Kawhi shoots 35 percent again in this series, like I would be surprised, to be honest. Right. Um, Now, really, you you think you think that it's going to increase because I I do. And I'll give you a. I'll give you another yeah. reason why the the Andre Iguodala like pull up last night at the end of the mm-hmm. game scares me significantly. Um, that As that is should. that is probably the number one thing now that I am most worried about because like I just mentioned Golden State's defense being a concern and it is that defense only gets worse if you don't have Andre Iguodala hounding Kawhi Leonard all over the court. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Now I, I'll say this about the 111 defensive rating. It, 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 you're right. It, it hasn't been great. But you think back to that Blazer series in the Western Conference Finals, um, that was very regular season-esque from the Warriors in the sense of they dicked around for 30 minutes and then turned it on for you know, 10, just, or 10 to 15 just because, well, you know, I guess we got to go now. And we've seen that so many times from this team. And when they decided to just turn it on, it's stupefying, and that's Draymond Green at the center of all of that. And, and frankly, I didn't feel like Draymond made much of a defensive impact last night, and certainly not comparable to the ways that he had made it in the last uh, two rounds. So, I, I, I don't disagree that the Warriors' defense isn't as good as maybe we chalk it up to be, certainly on a forty-eight minute scale. But man, I, I, I've just seen some things, and I, I refuse to forget that when the Warriors really decide to put on the clamps, it's something special. Now, that said, um, Toronto's defense is really fucking good, and the Warriors are going to have a lot of problems. There are a lot of lineups out there where it's just like, you better hope Steph gets the ball. Uh, it's yeah, that, that's shots. the thing that's like kind of concerning to me is like they played a bunch of lineups where it was like Steph in the bench or Clay in the bench, and like it, people it are throwing – yeah, like people are throwing out this number that like Steph was O for the game whenever he was guarded by Fred Van Vliet. And look, Fred's really good and like a particularly good Stephen Curry defender, if only because yeah. he really fights through screens really well. Like I'm not saying that he's like a Stephen Curry stopper or anything, but like no, on no, a no. marginal level, like compared to other guys, I think he is like He tries pretty, and tries. Yeah, like he's pretty good. Really at this. part of this thing, yeah. But like most of the time when Fred was guarding Steph, it was that like Steph versus, you know, Steph and it's no one on else five. in the lineup and it's one on five and they're just sagging way off and help and helping out yeah. Fred to like really just force the ball out of Steph's hands. So it's a, it's interesting because I think on some level we can look at DeMarcus Cousins as something the Warriors need in this series. Yes. But also but. something 
that significantly hinders them because his no passing last night was exceptional. He yeah. was unreal as a passer last night. He cre- he played like eight minutes, I think, uh-huh. something like that. Yeah, eight minutes. He created, I would bet you, six like potential assists. Yeah, he only night. got two, but he did. He every time he touched the ball and passed it, it seemed like it's a little bit of magic was happening. And at right. the same time. He pretty much gave up points all but one time uh, on the defensive end. I mean, the Raptors were just foaming at the mouth, uh, thinking about attacking him in pick and roll, and they they took advantage time and time again there. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world to be a net zero player. Uh, It's just a rarity to be a net zero player when sort of baskets are being scored at both ends, and it turns into sort of like a Big 12 football game. Well, the weird thing with DeMarcus last night was – I actually thought he did okay holding up in like pick and roll. Um, they didn't take advantage of him as much as I thought they should have. They only mm. ran, you know, maybe a few actions at him that I saw yeah. in the eight minutes. Like they didn't go, they didn't go it wild. Like they like, figured it out just, late. Like, right. Then there. Yeah. That's a good was, point. That's in a the fourth mistake. quarter, they did. In the fourth quarter, yeah. they did it. But like in the first half, they really only did it, I think, once that I counted. In well, the, yeah. 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 Well, like in the, sorry, in the I'm not, first I'm not looking at the film. But, like, in the fourth quarter, they went at it a little bit more. But the bigger problem for me was the transition defense when he was on the floor. Oh, uh, he, they just he can't, can't get he back. He can't move. He right. Can't move. Like, they're playing four on five for way too long, I think. And that's a significant it's, issue. Especially when you're going up against a, a unit that features no viable ball handlers. I, I like Quinn Cook, but, like, that's not that's not the dude he's not he's not built for this post you know this postseason life and well, like Qu- quinn is good at and they want quinn off ball because he can space the floor and that's right. something that they actually lack so what happens is it's and like he can like fight over screens and guard a little bit against uh, yeah. guys like fred he's a he's an nba player but that's as far as i'm willing to go and he'll knock down an open three which is he did it last night and it's something that's really found money for the warriors and frankly with this bench like beggars can't be choosers but uh you're getting a lot of dribbling from clay and you're getting a lot of dribbling from demarcus which means you're probably going to get a higher percentage of turnovers i don't have the number in front of me but the raptors have to feel good about their ability uh to turn defense into offense and that's something that the warriors have, have kind of made famous and obviously they didn't invent it or anything but that's a lot of their ethos is centered around that notion they were really unable to do it last night and the raptors who they've done it all year long at a hyper elite level uh, really showed what they were made of in that regard, and the Warriors' transition defense was absolute dog shit. And that, that just take Cousins out of the equation because no one would have expected Cousins, even if he was 100 percent healthy, to be good in transition defense. Much less when he can barely get up and down the floor because he's so out of shape after taking like nine weeks off. Uh, and we, us big men, take away our cardio for a while. It's, it's rough going. Um, it just it's it's just a true statement. Uh, like it was, it was kind of watching it back. Steve Kerr just kind of went in on it after the game. It was fairly obvious during the game, but it was like, it was comical. It was regular season bullshit that the Warriors were pulling off when it came to transition defense. I mean, they had no fucking idea where the ball was, where the cutters were. The Raptors just absolutely smoked them. And it's like, this is, this is why I, I don't know if Kerr gets paid the big bucks. I think he's a really good X's and O's coach. Uh, that that doesn't really shine through very often because the team's so goddamn talented, and oftentimes like the good X's and O's play is like, hey, let's give Kevin the ball more. But um, like, man, the adjustments that he can make on the fly uh, w- with certain stuff is just really really impressive. Nevertheless, 
uh, I can't imagine how many fucking times he brought up in the, the, the lead up to game one, transition defense, transition defense, transition defense. Like if we can slow down the Raptors in transition, uh, then, then we get to sort of dictate the pace of the game. Because we know what they do in the half court. We feel really comfortable with our strategy defensively on Kawhi in the half court. Uh, you feel good about it. But if they can get out and run, which means that, one, we're turning the ball over uh, more than we should. And, two, we're not getting back on defense. Like, then we're fucked. That's an, enti- that's, the, that's an entire other game that we're losing. And if you lose both of those games, or even if you only lose one of them, like, the margins are such to where you're, you're probably not going to win. I can't imagine how many times he pounded home transition defense, and then for the Warriors to just play just laughable transition defense for the entire game. Like maybe that's why they pay him as much as he does. Like I don't, I don't know how do you, how does he reach these kids? Like I don't, I don't get it. How do I reach these kids? <laughs> exactly. That's all I could think about walking home or walking back to the courtyard last night. It was like, like I would just be pulling my fucking hair out. Where it's like. Rule number one of playing the Toronto Raptors, as Kerr said, is stop their transition offense. And I know that you can't stop transition offense all the time, but like, I don't know, half an ounce of hustle usually goes a pretty good way uh, on the defensive side. And like, the Warriors just were, it's like they had never seen a fast break before at times. It was just, it was laughable. So, so I, that I, part of it I was laughable. Think, I, I will I say this. I think that they get better at that, right? Like, or, or, or am, I, am I just too optimistic? Am I too close to the sun here? So they have to get better at transition defense. Like that is, I think, their number one issue. The number two thing that happened that was very weird in this game. Yeah. You look at contested field goal percentage for Toronto. Oh, I haven't seen this. Let me know. So Toronto shot 45 uncontested shots versus 32 contested shots, which is just kind of not good enough. Uh, on some No, level. no, no, no. That's a bad ratio for the Warriors. That's a, Usually they're around 50-50, if not a little bit better. Right. But here's the thing. Toronto shot 42.2% on the uncontested shots <laughs> and 62.5%. Yeah. On contested field goal attempts, that that's is what I was talking about. That's what that's I was wild. About, like that that level of magic that they had going on. Uh, we're like, listen, uh, you could see it in Steph Curry's face. I think there was maybe three minutes left, maybe even two in the fourth quarter, and and the Warriors were down ten. The game was probably over, but it was one of those things where it's the Warriors, so you never really quite count them out. And and it felt like Golden State was starting to figure some stuff out, and they were throwing traps at Kawhi. And Kawhi throws it over to Van Vliet, and Van Vliet takes a step-back dribble forward long two that hit the rim more times than Kawhi shot against the Sixers, and, like, hit the inside of, like, it almost wedgied, and then, like, rolls in the wrong way. And Steph, the ball falls right in front of Steph as it goes through the hoop. And you could just tell he just went, not tonight. This is, it's, it's just not happening. Like, sometimes the other team just has the magic touch. The Warriors have certainly gotten it far more often than they've been the victim of it. That's what I'm talking about with some of that stuff. Like, I love Fred. I think that he's a really good player. He's been awesome over the last few games. If he can do it three more times, congratulations to Toronto for, for winning a title. Like, I, I think that that's where the Warriors have to be. So, yeah, the, the Fred Van Vliet shot. So I was watching the game with Laura in our living room. And that shot was, like, the only time that made Laura, like, sit up and go, wow. Like, she was, like, yeah. half, like, paying attention to, like, 
the netball international rosters that just got released, like half paying attention to like dog videos on Facebook. And this is an all t- all the time sentence, all like, time sentence. <laughs> Net, netball and dog videos. Yeah, and like and that Van shot, Vliet. that Fred Van Vliet shot is the one that made her go, "Wow, whoa!" Like yeah. just unbelievable that that shot went in. Um, yeah. It's not to say he didn't earn it. Like he worked his ass off. No, Fred was days, great but, last like, night. Fred was yeah. genuinely great last night. I don't think the Warriors totally expected Fred to like continue to to stay on his bullshit uh in this game like i, I think that kind of fred is a I tough think, dude i would not bet against that guy no 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 i'm not betting against him but like at a certain point like how long is he in fuego uh and he was so awesome at the end of the eastern conference finals and so you just think to yourself like well maybe he'll look like fred van vliet again and yet he didn't and so now i guess you just can't you can't take for granted that he's you know it's going to turn back into a pumpkin or whatever uh yeah he, he's here no fred's good um no question let's see let's talk about the kevin durant of it all um okay so one thing that i said uh coming in was kevin durant is gonna play a bigger like kevin durant against the raptors is a bigger deal than having kevin durant against other similarly talented teams to the raptors because of the way that the matchups trickle down right right like pascal siakam doesn't go for 32 if Kevin Durant is on the no, floor. Um, no, yeah, because you, 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 you have more freedom to, to mix and match. You can throw Draymond in, in certain spots, or you can just put Draymond on Pascal and trust that Kevin can protect the rim a little bit better. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Well, you can do about. either, right? Like, Or right. you can just like play softer, like, and like, look, the Warriors probably won't do this, but like they could play like a softer shell, like defense, similar to what the Raptors did against the Bucks. And You're say, saying like, go to the zone? Not the, it's not really a zone. It's like a, just a heavy help, like man to man scheme. But like, yeah, um, it's, it's like you they could... didn't want to. They didn't want to do it last night in 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 helping off of the weak side. They would do it off of Siakam, but they, they really didn't want to do it for anybody else. And um, but there's there's just a lot more yeah. to do. Basically, like there there are yeah. a lot more options on defense if you have Kevin, and then additionally on offense you have another guy to help. Like just with depth, as much as anything. Like, look, oh, yeah. Kevin, Dur- Kevin Durant is Kevin fucking Durant. He's a lot more than depth, but like, it just allows you to not have to play like ten guys in the first quarter. Though, oh. seriously, the Warriors played eleven players last night, and like, none of them were even Andrew Bogut. Like, it was it was right. weird. Well, no, it wasn't weird. I mean, this is the kumbaya cur that, that Nate Duncan so likes to talk about. But like, they started Jordan Bell at center. Let's just say. For, if Kevin Durant's in this series, uh, I don't think that anyone's hand wringing about the Warriors' chances. Uh, they, they probably don't lose Game One. Like, and I, I'm happy to get. Into I agree with the, you. The, like, I, I, I think this is this is no question a series win if Kevin Durant plays for the Warriors. Right. Like, it, it's like every laughable. game that is right. Um, but I, I, was, I was I'm wondering like okay the the Bell thing I understand why they did it. It did not work necessarily, but it wasn't like a laughable move for Kerr to start Bell, because you're essentially saying, okay, yeah, we're a perimeter-based team without Kevin Durant, because we now, we're not going to give the ball to a guy on the block and let him sort of ISO up against I'll, a, I'll a, be a very match. honest. I didn't understand it at all. Well, it, it's it's uh, the alternatives are rough. I, I think you want, 
listen, the correct answer is Kevon Looney in the starting lineup with, with this with this Warriors roster. The real correct answer is you have Kevin Durant and you start Draymond at center. Well, um, like here here's the other thing too. It's not like the Raptors lead guards are so like explosive and athletic that it's like a mm-hmm. significant Andrew Bogut mismatch. You know, well, what and, I mean? and we and we very much might see Bogut, especially with the Siakam at the at the dunker spot uh, situation, to where that now, if you just have, if, if they're going to relegate in a certain way Siakam to being a center in the offense or a traditional center in the offense and just hanging out by the basket. The Warriors have the ability now to actually use a true center, uh, in this case, Andrew Bogut, or perhaps even Damian Jones, in that spot as well, um, at least on the defensive end. And then they, they like what Bogut brings to them on the offensive end because he's such a nice passer as well. And we saw the value of what Cousins was able to do as a passer. Maybe right. that with Bogut, you can tap into some of that magic. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if Bogut starts game two if he gets a decent run. Not not significant, but a decent run. Cause yeah, like he, he plays like 15 minutes. Yeah, and that's pretty much his limit. Like as much as uh, as much as he is coming off of a season in Australia and stuff, like he looked gassed at times in an up and down series against uh, right. against the Blazers. For, he, he really for people he, he who are good. unaware, like the NBL is a very half court based league, very oh, yeah. half court based, <laughs> which is why he dominated. But yes. um, it, it <clears throat> I, I can absolutely with the Durant thing. If Durant's in here, it, it totally changes stuff. So much of this fun little Warriors run that I guess came to an end last night, but this this uh, this whimsical, uh, nostalgia filled. We're throwing it back to 2015 moment. They're that 31 and one in the last 32 games yeah. that Stephen oh, Curry has played, and Kevin Durant hasn't. Fucking a! They beat the Grizzlies in February. Let's fucking raise a banner for that shit. Like I, I, I do find it absolutely fascinating. There's a goddamn reason they brought in Kevin fucking Durant, and it's because. The Warriors, I, I have been watching to the point of insanity. Like, I, I feel like everything in my life now just revolves around the final three games of the 2016 NBA Finals. Uh, I, I just, I, it's all I think about because it just feels like we're having to relitigate that moment where Draymond Green goes to the parking lot and calls Kevin Durant and says, we need you. And the Warriors know that the that, that beautiful kind of smoke that they had the high-motion offense, the Steph Curry, Draymond Green pick-and-roll, and the super-switching defense, that it would not stay at the top. That as the revolutionaries of the league in so many ways, and just as much as everyone sort of has copied the Warriors and now taken it levels beyond that on the offensive end, we're seeing every team in the league, or at least the competent ones, switch almost everything on defense. That shit was not happening before Draymond Green got slid in to the starting lineup for the Golden State Warriors. Yes, teams would switch, but not to the level the Warriors did and not with the aplomb that the Warriors did it. And, right. and now that is that is the only way to play defense in I, this NBA. I strongly disagree with that for what it's worth. Like we saw okay. the Raptors like do the exact opposite of that last series, right? Last last series, but not last night. Not no, last, last night. night. No, you can't really do it against the Warriors. Like you can't and, and I, really play switched, that soft shell against the Warriors. They switched plenty. They switched plenty against the Bucks. Now they they also had sure. A, but it, my point is switching is not a, a novelty in any way, shape, or form. It's the norm. If you cannot switch, you are dead in the modern on, NBA. On some level, you have to switch for sure. It, it, and Pascal Siakam is the perfect example of like the modern NBA, not just the backstory and all that stuff, but just you think about what he is as a four 
in this league and, and what he would have been even before Draymond Green. I mean, a, a tweener is probably not the right way to put it. They might have put him at the two. Like, I don't even know what you do with a Pascal Siakam in a league where switching isn't ubiquitous. But nevertheless, the Warriors knew after the Cavs, and credit to Ty Lue, they threw it all against the wall. And I don't know why it took him four games to sort of figure it out, but Curry had that knee thing. He wasn't as explosive as he needed to be. We saw that in the Western Conference Finals in 2016 to where he just couldn't pull up from the distance he wanted to pull up from. And uh, and Clay kind of had to get them over the hump almost single-handedly. Uh, it, it's that, that high... What the Cavs saw in that high pick and roll thing was exactly, sorry, if you grab and hold and claw and make life just exceedingly difficult off the ball and you put the right amount of pressure on Curry, and sometimes that means traps, but smart traps because you don't want the four on three coming the other way, you can really slow down the perimeter high motion offense. And, and that's just switching everything, grabbing and clawing, and, and, and being smart about when you, you try to take the ball out of the point guard's hands. This is One how thing the, that I thought was really yeah. interesting, though, was the way that the Warriors did an awful lot of blitzing and trapping last night. Well, I think, With I think how they, good the Raptors are as a passing team, though. Like, everyone yeah. on the court for the Raptors, basically at all times, other than maybe Serge, can uh-huh. really pass the ball. Like, oh, yeah. Kawhi can pass the ball now. Pascal's a great passer. Gasol's a great passer. passer. Danny yeah. Green is not like going to create plays for you with like driving kicks, but he's no. great at just reversing the ball around the perimeter. And Super we saw like player. just this unbelievable ball movement from the Raptors last night. A lot of times after the Warriors would decide to trap the ball, sometimes it was to get the ball out of Kawhi's hands. Sometimes it was just to kind of try and wreak havoc because that's what they do. And they want to, and again, try want. and get the they, ball in certain hands. Like, yeah. it's, sacri- it's a sacrifice to get some pace going in the game because if Kawhi has the ball, the Raptors are totally content. And this is kind of what I was getting at before I just totally lost lost anything I had going. Um, this is the, the Houston Rockets built an entire s- system around what the Cavaliers did in the final three games of the 2016 NBA Finals, which is hyper-isolation offense, totally control the pace of the game, let superstars go one-on-one against mostly Curry, if we're being honest, or the, the weakest link at center. Um, control the pace of the game on that end. And then just kind of do Seattle Seahawks pass interference on every play defense on the other end and, and just make it really, really hard for the Warriors to move around and, and clog stuff up and make them look constipated. With When Kevin Durant came in, it, it, it got rid of all the predictability for the Warriors offense. And sometimes that didn't look all that great. But just having a dude who you can give the ball to and everyone can get the fuck out of the way and stand and grab their shorts or whatever. And Kevin Durant is going to turn around. And it doesn't matter if there's one, two or three guys in front of him. He can rise up and get you a 15 foot bucket like that changes everything, because now instead of the opposing team grabbing and holding and really clogging stuff up on the perimeter, now they have to throw some attention towards Durant, who's typically sitting sort of in the high post on the block. And, okay, well, if you're going to try to clog up the perimeter and then give it to Durant, Durant, that's just good offense. He's going to get more than a point per possession off of those ISOs. And then, okay, well, now we're going to throw some more bodies there. Well, that opens up the perimeter again. You can go back to the high-motion offense, and it's the fastball. It's the changeup. And the defense is always off balance with, with, with this Warriors offense. And right now we're seeing exactly what the Warriors found out in, in 2016, which is we're, we're kind of predictable right now. And a predictable offense is an offense, especially now, 
three years later as teams have gotten tape and tape and tape and study and study and study and understand the value of what the Warriors were really doing. Um, it, it's easy to stop in a lot of cases. And Steph had to hit a bunch of really fucking tough shots. Clay is completely out of his element. And if, if you, you're having kind of the Harrison Barnes situation all over again with Andre Gudal and Draymond Green and Alfonso McKinney, where it's like, yeah, the, the other team's going to dare those guys to shoot. And if they don't knock down baskets, the Warriors don't really stand much of a chance. So let's talk about going forward, what happens, and we'll kind of finish on that. This is not going to yeah. be a marathon podcast, folks. As um, much as I might try. <laughs> uh, so... What do the Warriors do going forward? Let's assume that they have Andre Iguodala. Yeah. Let's. I, I don't think we Durant, can assume Durant's that Kevin's going to come Durant. back until four. Like, seriously, yeah. people, I'm telling but, you, people around the NBA that I've talked to are like, this is not a good injury for Kevin Durant to have. I know. I, I know as well as it. Like, uh, the, four has always been the number that. I've been told that it just makes sense on top of things. Uh, the fact that the Warriors haven't been transparent at all about the grade of the injury, it's actually kind of shocking that Kevin's camp hasn't leaked it either, which I guess is telling in, in and of itself. Um, yeah, it, it's not a good injury. And their going into this series was very real concern that Kevin would not play at all in these NBA finals. I think that there is an optimism, and that it's an honest optimism now, that he will play. Um but it might, the, the series might be out of hand by that point if the Warriors don't get their act together on defense. I think that the adjustments that they can make on that end are fairly simple. I think it's an effort thing, first and foremost. Most of the transition defense is just, I, I know the Warriors are smart enough, so it really just comes down to if they want to do it enough. And, and I, I'm pretty sure that they should probably fucking try with uh, being down 1-0 in the series. The other adjustments, I, I, you have to... You have to try to find a way to break through to Clay and tell him he's got to stop taking so many off-balance shots. Uh, He's just been off. And last night, there's no question, I think Pascal Siakam was the best player on the court. Curry had a nice game, but Siakam was the best player on the court. What he was able to do defensively is always awesome. Uh, And then his offensive game was just through the roof. If he's the third best player, if you got the two established stars in Kawhi and Steph, and those they just have those top two spots, they're grandfathered in because of who they are. And I thought Kawhi, even though he didn't have a great box score game, was really impactful on the game yeah. for better and for worse. Um, uh, I would say ninety percent for better in Kawhi's case. Yeah. No, no, no. And there were some situations I think the Warriors feel comfortable with saying like, "Ooh, okay, we can let's try to bring out more of that." Uh, uh, but nevertheless. Uh, if Pascal Siakam's the third best player on the court, or if he's in that th- that three-man triumvirate, if he's the guy who makes it up, the Warriors are fucked because it should be Draymond Green. It should be a guy. It, it's really it should be Clay Thompson. Uh, Clay Thompson talked about how he really wanted to make the All NBA team. I, I understand his gripe in not making it. I wouldn't have put him on it personally, but uh, I, I get it. He he did have an unbelievable second half of the year after the 2019 switch he, he was just at, on fire and it made up for a really woesome first you know, 2018 uh, i don't know man leave me alone uh definitely like, sick <laughs> yeah sorry yeah I, I made it this far like it was if he if he thinks he should be an all nba player I, I i hate to fall into this easy sports talk radio trope but like show the fuck up like, yeah, he, he was tough last night. He was he was real bad. He, he sucked in the Western Conference Finals. Now, listen, his defense will always make him a passable player. He's really right. good on defense. 
Uh, and you don't want to take away from that. I have been kind of my mantra this entire postseason is we don't talk about defense enough. We don't talk about defense enough. It matters. And we're getting it. We're getting it with two teams that can be hyper elite. And the Raptors, I think, showed uh, their best stuff last night. And the Warriors still are, are yet to kind of show theirs. But I, I know what that level is, and it is awesome. But by the way, we're, we're like complaining about Clay. Uh, Clay went eight of seventeen from the field, three of, of six, a and a lot of it was late. late for sure. A lot of it. A lot of it was like in quasi garbage time. I know that the scoreline doesn't say garbage time, but it was like kind of after things were decided and it was after the point where the Raptors had just sort of broken through. We're getting buckets all the way down the stretch and the Warriors sort of, it was after that fan bleach shot where Steph is just like, nah, not today. Uh, we're, we're not going to go all out here for the rest of it. And Clay, I guess the pressure was off and he just started knocking down. I think he knocked down two or three, three pointers in that final stretch. But, um, and, and certainly the Raptors defense let up a little bit in those moments as well, which you know, takes two to tango, but Clay, Clay has to be much better, and, and frankly, no one knows how to gauge uh, how to gauge what the hell to get from Clay on a minute by minute, hour by hour, game by game basis. Like it, it's, it's it's not a knock. He, he lives life better than all of us. It seems like he's got it all figured out, and he he certainly has a competitive fire that he doesn't get enough credit for. But, but, but he um, has to play better. Like at the end of the day, that's... play better. Like they, Pascal the Warriors Siakam need him to play him. better. Yeah, Pascal uh, Siakam, might outplay him, but like the bigger issue is that like Fred Van Vliet like can't oh, yeah. approximate him. You know what I mean? Like that's sometimes, the big thing. Yeah. Sometimes we overanalyze this stuff. Like the best player on the for- floor was Pascal Siakam last night. Let's let's again just give Curry and, and Kawhi their credit. Grandfather him in. Who was the who was the fourth best player on the floor? I mean, it might have been. Marcus Gasol, uh, Lowry did not have a good box score game. I thought he was super impactful. Uh, Van Vliet, I, I, I'm waiting for the first warrior to come to mind here uh, because it, it, Draymond, it, Draymond probably comes in after all of them, and Clay comes in after all. After I mean, Draymond. like, like Andre was useful. Andre was really good on defense last night, and he had seven. Yeah, assists. but Andre can't. Andre hasn't made a three pointer in 20 days. Like, and, and, and fair and point. The, the Raptors are, as every team that has a brain should do, saying to Andre or, you know, Sean Livingston or Alfonso McKinney, but mostly Andre because he's playing the most minutes out of those guys. Go ahead, shoot it. And the Houston Rockets dared him in game six of the Western Conference semifinals, and he knocked down five. And he hasn't made one since. And it didn't matter because the Blazers just weren't ready to, to go up against a Warriors team that was, re- you know, geared up to run. Um, but let's not forget that the Blazers had like 17 point leads in three of those games and the Warriors just decided to turn it on and, and kind of got by. It, it was the closest sweep in NBA playoff history, something to that effect. I think the Warriors trailed for more than they led in that series and yet they still swept. So it, it's not as if they're coming in as this hyper juggernaut. It, it was the formula for beating the Warriors has been there and ultimately it requires the Warriors to beat themselves a little bit. And, and it requires you to shoot at just like a ridiculously high level on it, like some it, point, right? It requires, it requires you to make 62% of your contested shots to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like the Warriors should feel pretty damn comfortable about where they're at uh, going into this. If I haven't, if I hadn't seen this team sort of championship medal manifest itself so many times just in this month, um, there would be viable reason to panic. I, I think that the X's and O's, the tact, you know, the, the tactician in me looks at it and goes, "Oh shit!" You know, this is this is going to be really tough for, for so, Golden State. But so, like, but then I just I kind of I kind of know that they got another gear and that they know how to tap into it. 
So I think they have another gear. What I would do, I would start Andrew Bogut next game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, play Kavon like the same number of minutes. You know, like Kavon played twenty eight last night. Like it's not like he he didn't play. You know. No, no, he um, was, and he was. I thought he was really damn good too. I mean, yeah, he wasn't I thought, like a he wasn't a total game changer or anything, but like. You knew Kavon Looney was their best center last night. Yeah, no question. Like, Kavon should get the think, Lions' even, share of the they even? I don't even think they played Draymond at center last night. I don't think they played him at center for a minute. No, I don't think they did either. That's and weird. That is another thing that, like, I would probably do more of. And I, I understand it, why they're a little bit hesitant to do it, but... Fuck it. Yeah, I think that they're going to have to play more of these smaller lineups, mostly because, yeah, like... They're just getting Marcus, hit Marcus, too hard. If, if you need yeah. more speed on the court to be able to play this super, you know, help heavy, trap heavy uh, right. defense where you're trying to take the ball out of certain guys' hands. And last night, it just felt like they didn't always have the recovery speed on the court to be able to do so. And some of that is the rust that they were talking about, I'd have to imagine. But yeah, you're, you're sure. 100% right. It's weird that you don't play. Maybe, maybe it's not Bogut. I, I think it is Bogut. I think that you're right. And well, maybe, maybe it that. is. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it's Kavon is is the starting center, they, and then you play really, Dre. They, I'm telling you, they really like having Kavon off the bench because they're losing Andre Iguodala's intelligence off the bench, and they really like having that kind of calm right. head, that steady presence. Maybe they start Sean Livingston and Draymond at the five, though. I I, yeah. I don't think that they'll be that bold. Uh, I, I don't. What if think it's that, McKinney? McKinney would be a good option as well, though. I, I can't remember too many minutes where McKinney and that would kind of fuck up their rotations with Andre because McKinney and Andre kind of have to swap one for the other. I, I can't remember too many minutes where they were on the court together, but right. I was kind of shocked that 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 game had McKinney written all over it. And he has defensive liabilities that will just kind of make boneheaded plays every now and again. But he'll I thought he played like three. Fairly He's a good well, player, actually. Yeah, I thought yeah. I thought he was I thought he was better than passable. And this series kind of has him written all over. This is going to be a wing-defined series uh, in so many ways, especially when you look at the Raptors, of course. Well, um, Andy knows the Raptors' scheme well. Like, I mean, he's yeah. there. I don't know if that means he can execute it, but, like, yeah. He, but, like, he, he has a better feel for what's going to happen. Like, you would think, yeah, he's, you would think he's going to... F- all these guys. Like, you would think he'll fuck up less, basically. Yes. Just because he knows that scheme. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I yeah I, I feel like there's just so many different areas for experimentation that that could lead to something better and I don't think Bell played poorly again but I, I, those need to be change up minutes that that can't be your fastball and um, if you want to I agree with you you got to go small especially with Gasol just spending so much time beyond the three point arc like you're not really giving up that much. Uh, in that regard. Uh, but yeah, maybe go with Bogut gives you some rim protection. The Raptors did feast at the rim, uh, especially against in those bell minutes early on. Maybe that, that, that uh, clears some things up for you and then you go small, but I, I, I would be shocked. I would be absolutely shocked if we don't see Draymond at the five for some stretch in game two. It was just kind of unconscionable to me that, that it, it, it didn't happen in game one. I, I'm still a bit flabbergasted. I refuse to acknowledge that it didn't happen. All right. And the last point I want to make here, We've gone this entire podcast basically without bringing up Stephen Curry. Um, oh, which he, he seems good. like part of it is, I guess, that we take Steph for granted on oh, some level, but we shouldn't do that. He was exceptional last night. He was he was the best player on the court last night. Like, like we can talk about Pascal, we can talk about Kawhi. Stephen yeah. Curry was the best player on the court last night. Like, no question. It was. It was like one one point. He had like a one twenty six offensive rating or something. Like it, it was. was unbelievable he yeah, was and a lot of those shots were tough 
Yeah. Yeah. They were he's, all. He's a dude. Yeah. He is. The way that he warps the game is just so ridiculous, even against a great defense like Toronto, even against, you know, Kyle yeah. Lowry, who's a pretty good defender still, not quite and what a, he was, and a, but and like. a tough motherfucker, too. And he's tough and he's strong. And Fred Van Vliet is tough and he's strong and he fights strong, yeah. over screens. Like. Yeah. This was this yeah. was a very unbelievably good Stefan game, and I but just like, like it, I want to bring it up because like we haven't talked about Steph, and we really need to talk about Steph. Well, because the Warriors wouldn't have stood uh, half a chance of being in this game if Steph doesn't have a quasi nuclear contest, and uh, maybe that says more about the Raptors than it does about the Warriors. Uh, it, it, it's one of those uh, it, it's one of those things where. I don't, I don't know. Like, it, it, maybe if the Warriors give them just a little bit more help, the entire game changes on on that, on just just predicated on that small thing. Maybe this was a one-off and the Raptors can make the adjustment. I, I don't know. I'm fascinated to see because it, it's very clear the obvious thing that we know, uh, but it, it manifested in, in very clear terms last night, is it all revolves around stuff. And everyone on the Warriors knows it or not, but like I'm fascinated to see how Toronto adjusts that. I'm fascinated to see how the Warriors try to help help their guy out because he carried them for I don't know all 48 minutes. <laughs> yeah, and the Toronto adjustment is like nothing. Just do what you did again last night. And like part of that is unsustainable because you're yeah. probably not going to get 15 and unbelievable defense from Fred VanVleet again. You're probably not going to get 20 and seven from Marcus all again. You're probably not going to get 32, eight and five from Pascal again. No, my bet is though that Kawhi doesn't shoot five 14, but there's more room for downside than upside with Toronto. Like they played exceptionally well and yeah, I don't really think they should be changing much here. That, that's my thing. Like, the Warriors have a bunch of different things that they can tweak. And they don't have to do anything drastic, but there are tweaks that they can make. And now that they have the film, I, I, I trust their tactical ability to make those tweaks. I think that they actually kind of enjoy the chess match of it. They haven't been in too many of those. Uh, even when they play the Rockets, which are always tough series, it's so rote and direct, and everyone kind of knows what the fuck is coming. It's not all that mentally stimulating. Uh, they haven't had one of these in quite a while. And I think that they're really enjoying this moment. Uh, it seemed like they were after the game last night. They're like, oh, man, this is fun. Um, so they can make a bunch of little small adjustments and see what happens there. They can tinker, and maybe that shit backfires. But maybe it breaks you know, breaks through in some ways. Whereas the Raptors, like, if I'm Nick Nurse, I coached an almost perfect game last night. I got an all-time performance from Pascal Siakam. Um, I thought Kawhi was positive without shooting well. I, I'm not really sh- – he's going to do better. I'm not sure how much better. Uh, you're, you want to run back the exact same game plan to a certain degree, knowing that it's unsustainable. And, and that's, again, where I think, man, if the Raptors had blown out the Warriors last night, as they probably should have uh, – then we're probably having a much different conversation. But because the Warriors got this thing down to like three points, they got it down to one possession at one juncture in uh, in the fourth quarter. Like, And I just think about all the different little things that they can do just a bit better. And then the big thing that they can do a lot better, which is, you know, run on transition defense. I, I just have to think that the Warriors still have the upper hand in this bad boy. And, oh, yeah, if Kevin Durant does come back in this series as anything close, even if it's 2-1 Toronto, it's just an entirely different ball game. Now, I don't know if the Warriors can go, you know, 3-1 from there, but uh, I I wouldn't bet against that. All right. Uh, Dieter, tell the people where they can find what you're going to write about all of this series. 
Oh man, I got I got like a big honker up on the uh, San Jose Mercury News and the East Bay Times website on last night and sort of all those things I just said. So you probably don't have to read it, uh, but I'd appreciate it if you did. And uh, I'm on Twitter at dcurtainlock, which is mostly just me tweeting out interesting story links at this juncture because Twitter is a cesspool. Go subscribe to the Athletic. Go read Dieter's work. Go support all of the great stuff that's out there on the NBA Finals. Um, We'll be back later after game two, probably. We'll talk about what's going on there. We'll talk about the NBA draft at some point with Cole uh, coming up here. So got a lot of really fun stuff. But until next time, we'll talk soon.